Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In this riveting documentary film, The Wobblies, filmmakers Deborah Schaefer and Stuart Bird weave history, archival film footage, interviews with former workers, many of them in their 80s and 90s during the making of this film, cartoons, original art, and classic wobbly songs, many of them written by the famous songwriter for the union movement, Joe Hill, to pay tribute to the legacy of these rebels who paved the way and risked their lives for many of the workers' rights that we still have today. This is a tremendous film document about basically the founding of the American Union movement and just how important it was then, and it remains to this day how important many of the things that they fought for and died for that we take for granted. The film, again, is called The Wobblies, and we're joined today by the filmmakers, Deborah Schaefer and Stuart Bird. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, let's start with a very basic question for either one of you uh, as to how you began this project back in the late 70s, I believe, right, is when this started. Um, what, what spurred you to want to do this documentary film? Stu and I were both members of a uh, sort of a left-wing documentary filmmaking organization called Newsreel in the that was founded in the late 60s. And Stu was um, working in Detroit making a film called Finally Got the News about black workers at one of the Ford Motor Plants, about a union. And I ended up in, um, in the area and we, we met then and I was sort of around the organization. And then we kind of went our separate ways, but I ended up at Newsreel in New York. And Stu wrote a play called The U.S. versus William D. Haywood et al. Is that the correct title, Stu? Yes, The Wobblies, U.S. versus William D. Haywood et al. Yes. Stu wrote a play, and it was being put on at at the Hudson Guild Theater in New York, and I saw that this play was being put on, and I had seen a book about The Wobblies. I had never heard of them, actually, growing up. That was one thing. I had just never heard of this organization, the IWW, and somebody had given me a book while I was in Newsreel called Milltown about the Lawrence strike, And the book had been banned in the 50s. Um, It was a photo book about the strike. And I just was shocked that all these events had happened and they were essentially written out of history, legislated out of history. So when Stu was doing this play, I went to see the performance and I loved the play. Two or three wobblies who live in the area were there that night and hung around afterwards. And I turned to Stu after the play and I said, Stu, we have to do a film with these people, because it was clear they were very, very elderly. The organization, as you said, was founded in 1905. The play was probably what, Stu, 76? So they were, you know, they were in their 80s, most of them that we interviewed. So we just, we, um, we jumped on it right away. We recruited a camera person. Judy Irola was our first camera person. She ended up going on to another project and and Sandy Sissel worked with us, but we jumped right into filming uh, with the people who would come to Stu's play and then started looking around the country. 
that's a, a great story, great opening uh, as to how you got involved. And you started with these people that you met at this meeting. What surprised you, Stuart, what surprised you as you got into the story of the Wobblies in terms of their importance, their place in history, or that they were sort of forgotten and buried in history somewhere? What of those two, if those are two viable options to answer the question from that point of view, but what was it about their story that surprised you most? How human yet militant they were, how the forces against them were so strong, the odds were so strong, and what they overcame to just get basic necessities, even though they were talking about a better world and socialism and uh, uh, maybe a a world run by trade unions. They talked about it, but what they were fighting for was just the recognition of an industrial union for basic needs. And the violence against them was incredible. I was just, you know, you're just astounded as this went on for uh, 20 years in America. And it led to things like uh, the first Red Scare, with A. Mitchell Palmer going against everyone, um, sending federal troops into the woods to cut down trees where they were on strike, both in the copper mines and the um, in the woods. The, the fight was brutal. Uh, you know, they're just all sorts of examples of pe- people being brought up on trumped-up charges, just shot, hung, and they just kept going. And the spirit and the music was it was just like overwhelming i know uh, i've been using this quote that uh, tom morello used in his new york times editorial uh which he wrote quite a lot about the wobblies and everything they did but he did say you know basically they were a kick-ass union fueled by kick-ass songs and <laughs> if you want to be simple that that that's it but i mean what they did and what they overcame and how brave they were, the average person and leadership was remarkable. That, that certainly comes across in the film. And I, I want to just sort of step back a little bit and kind of explain the context of the rise of the Wobblies and why it's so important, why this documentary film, The Wobblies, is so such a necessity for people who care about human rights, let alone union rights for people in the workplace. But it it came about with the rise of the industrialization of of America, moving from an agrarian society to a more industrialized society in which workers were considered to be the least valued part of the equation of bringing a a product or a service or food to to market. They were just, just thought of as something that was essentially an afterthought. And given the amount of displacement that was occurring in the agricultural industry at that or on farms at that time, human beings looking for work was very much a part of the desperation these people were facing, just finding work. And they were taken advantage of. And it's in this environment, not only taken advantage of, they were brutalized. They were killed, literally, on the job. And no one was caring about what was happening until these people came along. Is that a, am I being fair to the history of this? Yeah, I think so. Completely. What is so fascinating about it, again, I want to comment on this, Deborah, the makeup of the Wobblies. Let's talk about kind of the, the, the leadership and the membership, obviously, 
but it was multiracial, multi-gender, multi-whatever, uh, right? I mean, a really fascinating part of the story. Absolutely. They they insisted uh, that that was, you know, that they were just completely upfront about that when IWW organizers went to the South and they were told, no, the black workers have to have a separate, you have to have a separate meeting for black workers and for white workers. They said, no way, we are having none of that. And they insisted that they have one meeting, you know, for everybody to come to. And it brought down a lot of, as Stu was talking about before, and you mentioned it brought down a lot of repression on their heads, but they just refused to give in to those those tactics that they knew divide workers, that break worker solidarity with each other. And one of my favorite moments in the film is in the very opening when Jack Miller is saying uh, in the introduction, oh, we organized everybody, you know, we didn't discriminate by race, creed, color. And his wife is standing next to him and she pops up and says, sex. <laughs> and rolls her eyes because he like forgot to mention. <laughs> no, I just love that moment. I just love it. Stuart, what yes. was was there something about the makeup of the leadership, of where they were coming from, in that 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 they were so open in a country that had been fought a civil war over essentially the right to own slaves and to segregate people from one another? Where were they coming from? Was this part of the kind of? I know that Marxism was beginning to be heard about. Uh, around the world in terms of, you know, the idea of the worker's place in in society and in economies. Was that part of the inspiration? I mean, why was it so inclusive? What is there something? Because they had experienced mm. uh, in different ways, different people, uh, different, I'm talking about the organizers mostly. Right. They saw that at every turn, like with the Western Federation of Miners, there you had people who weren't immigrants. You know, you have Big Bill Haywood, well, Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, but Big Bill Haywood, these are people who, uh, you know, have been in America a couple of generations, but when they, the Western Federation of Miners is organizing, they split off uh, Hispanic workers and white workers. They try to bring them down any way they could. So everyone came with an experience of having been divided in some way. And they saw that it really hurt. And it was like a really big move to accept everyone, that they needed to have everyone in the union. And the 1905 formation in Chicago of the union, you had Mother Jones, you had Debs, you had Carlo Tresca, you had Haywood, you had Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, uh, you had everyone. You had um, Lucy Parsons. Uh, who was a black woman, uh, the, the wife of uh, one of the people who was slain in Chicago uh, at the Haymarket tragedy. So you had a, such a wide range of people coming together and you had the socialist element, you know, uh, you had yeah. Debs yeah. and uh, the Wobblies used to say they had two cards, a socialist card uh, and their, you know, and the IWW card. Uh, mm-hmm. But there were just a coming together out of necessity and a desperation to get everyone together and get an industrial union and to get the rights. And I think it's one of the great things they did. Uh, they just saw the AFL were idiots. They they wouldn't let women, blacks, anyone into the union. They were craft unions. They never hooked up with anyone else. You know, uh, Debs had tried the railway union, which had failed, which was an industrial union. And the Knights of Labor had existed. But the Wobblies were the ones that struck. And I think it had an incredible effect on American history. 
I do believe that the component parts that you described about what made up not only the leadership, but the sensibility of the Wobblies mm -hmm. is very important in, in their success. They were in, to the extent that they could be a joyful revolution, right? Absolutely. The music, the celebration, the, the community that they tried to create it. That's, those are all things that not only were they important internally, but externally in telling their story. And, yes. the other, and the other part of this is, you know, a lot of Americans, a lot of people who don't know this history kind of assume that they, you know, we, you wake up one morning and all of these things are now taken as the norms of society. But to see the violence visited upon them in this film and what they went through is horrifying and heroic for them to have survived and thrived in that environment and the bloodshed and the death and the destruction and the, the desire to destroy what they were trying to accomplish says so much about an industrial society. And, and it's a shame, this chapter in American history. Agreed. Yep, absolutely. I want people to check this out. It's being re-released through Kino Lorber. It's coming out in theaters here in Los Angeles. It'll be at the American Cinematheque here in Los Angeles on the 29th this Friday. And also it's being released through Kino Lorber. So you'll have access to it uh, that way as well. You can go to the Kino Lorber, which will be at the filmschoolradio.com website, all the ways in which you can watch this. But go to, a, go to the theater. If you're listening to the Sound of My Voice in Los Angeles or Philadelphia or Detroit or Denver or Seattle or wherever, check this out because it's a great film about a very important part of American history and two wonderful filmmakers, Stuart Bird and Deborah Schaefer, have been not only did this is their heart and soul. It feels like you really put a lot of your yourself into this film and your dedication of telling this story. So thank you so very much. We've been talking so much about the content. So I feel like it's also important to for, for me to pay tribute a bit to the filmmaking because <laughs> without without boasting too much, I feel like in the in this film, Stu and I really hit on some filmic solutions that hadn't been used before and have been incorporated into the whole documentary practice since. For instance, using voiceovers for the leaders who were long gone, using some of Stu's um, text from his play for the beginning and the end of the film with an actor reading it to kind of set a dramatic tone. I mean, I think one of the reasons this film has survived is not just what it's about, but it's a movie. It's It works as a movie, as cinema. And we I think pioneered certain techniques that had not been used before. Prior to this, somebody would have done a film about the IWW with a narrator all the way through telling you what you're going to see next and what just happened and what's going to, you know, the voice of God. Mm. And we were having, we would have none of it. That's what came out of our experience as filmmakers in newsreel, where we did sort of direct action political films. We needed a direct action history film and we came up with a way to do it. And, now it seems so commonplace. The reason I'm pointing it out is we're all used to it now. But this was 10 years before Ken Burns started with voiceovers for the Civil War, dramatic voiceovers. Now it's now it's ubiquitous and ordinary. And but I, I do think, you know, the combination of the voiceovers and the music and the graphics and the the IWW's own art and cartoons and posters, it elevated the filmmaking, which is part of what makes this film it combined with the content, of course. Um, I think they're inextricable from each other. Thank you, Deborah Schaefer, for that. Absolutely. All those things are evident in the film and uh, to be celebrated. So my congratulations to you, Stuart and Stuart Bird and uh, Deborah Schaefer for your work and uh, all the best to you. 
Thanks so much. Thank you very Thank much. You. Appreciate it, man. Take care. Thank Bye. you. Thanks. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.